This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Danny Martin, thanks so much for joining us here on Bridging the Gap. How are you doing today, my friend? I am doing well. I've got no complaints. I tell people I wish I was better looking, had a little more money, but other than that, we're in good shape, my friend. How about yourself? Congrats on the on the new baby two weeks ago. I uh, hope you're getting some rest and appreciate you having me on today. I'm excited for it. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're we're extremely blessed over here and everybody's happy and healthy and getting as much rest as we can. But these are the fun days, right? To figure it all out. So we are we're doing that and getting ready for the holidays. Y'all staying at you staying around town for, for the holidays or y'all heading out somewhere with the fam? We are, no. So my wife's her favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. So we'll have everybody to our home and typically it's uh the, the people in Shreveport, her employees, friends, family that don't have anywhere else to go. We're a big military community here. Not that we have a bunch of military folks, but there's a lot of transplants in our hometown. And so people that aren't able to go home, we open our house up and just have Thanksgiving dinner. And so, yeah, we'll do that. And then Christmas, we trot around the state going to different places. But Thanksgiving, we'll just be at the house. And we actually do an all-vegan Thanksgiving. So that's a little bit different. It's It's been it's been interesting the last couple of years. So yeah, we'll, we'll be home with the family for sure. I love that. And I think what I'm so excited about with this conversation and having you on is because this industry, you're just one of those good guys, right? The good people doing it the right way. And such an awesome heart and big heart. I'm excited to have you share your story to everybody out there because I think that we can all learn from what y'all are doing over there in Shreveport and how y'all are helping the community and serving the community and, and doing that way. And I, I always like to jump into these conversations with kind of a, a deep question, but I think it helps everybody understand who they are. And I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek and start with your why. You know, he always talks about companies should lead with what their why is as opposed to what their product or service is. And I think that it happens on an individual side, right? Why are we doing what we do? Why do we get up and go to the grind and go through the ups and the downs every single day? And so when you think about yourself, what is your why for what you do and you grind through every day? Yeah, man, I'm a big uh, why person too. My dad is come from the network marketing background. He's worked with a company for over 30 years in the direct sales industry. And so I've heard the the Zig Ziglar's and the Jim Rohn's and you know all those guys. And if you if you don't have a why that makes you cry, you need to find another one and that type of stuff. Man, I think the why is such a it's such an emotional it's down inside of each person that's almost it's hard to explain. And I feel like that why has changed selfishly when I started in the business in 06. I just wanted to make a little bit of money, have a good career, didn't know what a mutual fund was. I didn't have any idea where this path would lead, but I wanted to have time freedom. That was my why so that I could spend it with family, community, friends, travel, in my business, on my business, that type of thing. So the time freedom was early on. I knew that there was a way at some point to make residual income. I didn't know if that was going to be a gumball machine, a parking lot that I striped and charged parking, a, a mutual fund income, a advisory business. I just didn't know. But I knew and I was taught early on that I did not want to you know, trade time for money. And so that's really always been my why is to try to figure out a way to selfishly have more time and not have to get up and go to work every day. And so that's really what's driven me. Now it becomes more about the business and the people and the clients and my family and the things that we can do to actually give good financial advice. The time part, although I work all the time, I'm in control of that schedule. So I've, I've achieved that goal, which has been good. So now the why has really changed into giving unbiased 
financial advice that I feel can help people, whether they work with us or not, and really having that same advice available to everybody, not just someone who's retired with a bunch of money, but someone who's 18, 19, 15, just starting out to try to educate and teach and to try to really just make those people around me better people. So I don't, it's not some specific thing. It started with time freedom and now it has basically become more of an education, which takes care of itself. It feeds on itself. So if you focus on the education and the teaching and the taking care of others and all of that, then your business grows and then you've got more time or more work, however you want to look at it. But it feeds on itself, if that makes it's sense. A service, it's a service first mentality, man. It's what we, I think that we need to celebrate those that are focused on that within this industry. And I'm so excited because I think that the industry is finding that path more and more as opposed to what it was when you got in the business in 06 and 10, 15, 20 years ago when it was all commission-based and not yeah. with the, the service-based mentality. And, and what I've learned as I've talked to people about their why and I look at my why, it's really based off of your background, right? Your upbringing. And that kind of helps to build that foundation. I'd love to hear more about kind of your background, born and raised, what your family did, and ultimately what, what led you to wealth management from that standpoint in 06. Yeah, man, it's actually, uh, it's a really cool story. I've almost got the real life version of like rich dad, poor dad. Not that my, that one dad's poor financially. They're both very successful, but my real father was in network marketing. He was in the grocery store business for 17 years. He and my mother got divorced when I was two, maybe one and a half. And so I got to see them both remarry. My dad was able to I guess show up at all the baseball games, basketball games. He was there. My, my mom and my stepdad had more traditional jobs. He's an oil and gas guy. She works at a bank. Great people, successful careers, going to have a great retirement. But I was able to visually see the difference between being an entrepreneur. Like dad, my dad says the only thing kept him out of college was high school. So I, I had two very distinct parent groups raising me. So I had four great parents. And so that's where the, the fundamental of – being an entrepreneur, a business owner, doing things for myself. I just saw the difference in an early age. And I don't think that many people get to see that. We're taught, go to school, make good grades, graduate, get a good job, work for 40 years and then retire. And I just never wanted to do that. And I think it's because I was exposed at a young age. And so when I went to college, I was dating a girl, moved to Shreveport. I didn't even know where Shreveport was. Started to get my master's. I got an MBA from Louisiana Tech and a guy who I knew, relationship, from my hometown in South Louisiana. So I'm a Kunas at heart. I'm a South Louisiana boy. My family still lives there in North Louisiana, which is about four hours north. I'm a South Louisiana boy who, who transplanted up to, to Shreveport. And I just got a job working at Capital One. I was a teller at the bank for about six months. That's what taught me the people skills, the thinking on your feet aspect of the transactional world. But I was in the branch with the senior financial advisor for Capital One. And he had 13 branches. I didn't know what he did. I knew that he he had good hours. He was always getting taken to lunch. He would get golf balls. He would be in golf tournaments. He was always meeting with clients and they were laughing and cutting up. And I'm, I'm like, I need what, what does that guy do in that office? And so I went and talked to him one day. And there was a referral program that for every referral you gave the advisor, you would get five bucks. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm a teller making X amount of money. If I could just refer like five people a day, then that could like double my check. So in the drive through of the bank, I just started, here's Miss Jones. Here's Mr. Jones. Here's Miss Smith. And I'm giving them to Steve Carney. That was, that was his name. 
Long story short, fast forward, I interviewed about three months later to be a personal banker at a different institution. They told me that I was not qualified, which I still find sort of comical. So I went back to my teller role, interviewed with Steve as his sales assistant. My business partner now is Chase Crump, and I actually got Chase hired. So I was the sales assistant for my best friend, who was the advisor. And I went to him, I said, okay, how do I do what you do? Because this is fun, and I like working in this organization, but I want to be the advisory, get your seven, get your 66, get your 65, 63, all those exams. And I did that. And that's where the journey in the investment world started. Me and Chase Crump were the junior advisors for Steve Carney at Capital One. And now me, Chase Crump and Steve own WFA, which is our independent firm. So we basically worked together, separated, joined back together in 2015 and and now we're here or in the independent space running our company so it's been a fun journey to see how all the certain parts played a role but it really goes back to the entrepreneur brain that i knew that i would rather go to lunch and meet with clients than just sit at a window for six eight hours a day is how it all started i love that story that story is just incredible and how y'all were at capital one and just what led you to say this is something I want to do. I want to be that guy, cutting it up, yeah. getting the golf balls. But when you were growing up watching you know, your dad and your stepdad kind of on those two paths, what was it? I'm always intrigued what kids wanted to be, what people wanted to be when they were a kid. What, what was it that you wanted to be when you were watching them? Because I know it wasn't working at Capital One and ultimately being a financial advisor owning your own RIA. Maybe it was, but what was it <laughs> that you, you wanted to be? It's a funny, when I interviewed with Steve, I told him, I said, listen, I don't know what a mutual fund is, but I will learn and I will be your best advisor. And like, I have no idea what, what we even do here, but you teach me. And so it's not necessarily what I want it to be. It's I knew and I swore I would never work in a bank because I saw my mom at 7.30 to 4.30, like at the bank. She's still there 40 years later. Great career, but I knew whatever, it was not going to be in a bank. And have you not, I spent eight and a half years at Capital One. I've always wanted to be, honestly, I wanted to be in the network marketing business. I wanted to sell products directly to people that I thought they needed. I wasn't necessarily convinced that I wanted to build an entire team and the the uh, recruiting side of the business, but I like the direct sales. Here's something I have that I think you might need here's why or whatever it might be. And so I always thought that would be my path, but it, it always went back to time freedom. That was what I thought would give me the time freedom. But what that really did was taught me about residual income. Mm -hmm. It was the fact that you could earn money while you were sleeping. And that led me to, oh, wait, a dividend. That's like residual income. Oh, wait, we can build our entire company on an advisory basis. So it's not a transactional based world. I'm getting paid as long as I do a good job, whether I'm sleeping, working on vacation, whatever that might be. I never really had a, a big dream in mind. I'd always like to be a professional golfer's wife because I feel like they have the best life. They get to, to go to all the nice country clubs. Other than that, I, I just didn't want to be a banker in eight and a half years at Capital One. It was just in your blood, dude. It was in your blood that you're drawn to it. You know, we met through uh, Investment News 40 Under 40, and so congratulations to you on that. You know, very well deserved. You know, from our conversation and just what you've done for the industry, I, I think it's so interesting in this time that we are as an industry because RIAs and independent being independent is such a trend. There's a tailwind behind it, and 
I think that there's always a challenge, though, with starting your own thing, right? You come out of a yeah. wirehouse, you come out of a Capital One. It's a little bit difficult to start your own thing. And when you all started WFA, you know, what What are some of the things that you learned that looking back now, you're like, these are some of the, the mistakes I made and these are some of the decisions I made that were great. What are some of those that you all did as you all built up the firm? Yes. So I'll actually take it a different route. So our company is actually Williams Financial Advisors. It was founded in 1997. It was a solo practitioner in town, Tommy Williams. And so the WFA is just a shortened version of Williams Financial Advisors. What I didn't tell you about Chase is in 2010, he left us at the bank and joined Tommy at Williams Financial Advisors as his succession plan. And so Chase was here at our company currently as just an advisor from 2010 to 2015. In 2014, Capital One split Steve and I up off of a team. They promoted me to a senior advisor where I got twice the work, no assistant, and my pay got cut. (laughs) Great deal. And so at that point I thought, okay, I've got no ties to Steve who got me in the business I'm ready to do, I think I can do more. And so I interviewed with Merrill, Cantor Fitzgerald, Edward Jones, all the other banks. I knew that I wanted to, to look at some options. Chase couldn't lie to me. I knew the service that was being produced at the company. I knew every time I came, I got real coffee cups and it was just a different feel than I had seen in that bank. And so when I decided it was time to leave the bank, there was no high, there was no smoke and mirrors. Like I've seen him operate for five years. And so I went to Steve and I said, hey, I'm going to leave. And he goes, where are we going? So we did it as a package deal and we joined here in January of 2015 as a succession plan for Tommy. And so over the last six years, we have completed that succession plan. Last November of 2020, me, Chase and Steve became the partners and the owners of the company. And through that five year transition, we basically converted it to an advisory-based fee only for the most part. Change the name a little bit to We Are WFA, and then we own our logo. It says Plan, Invest, and Inspire. Plan, obviously the foundation of our company. Investing to execute the plan, asset allocation, that type of thing. But the inspiration is really where we want to take the company into the future. Travel, do things, don't worry about dying rich, live richly, like that type of thing. So we've had to convert the whole mindset of our clients, our town, our founder, our admin, our team, our families. Like it's just been a whole different way that we're taking the company. And so things that we've learned, I wouldn't have been as nervous to leave my little safe bank world had I known how great my clients perceived me as an advisor like they were almost waiting for something more and i looked at it as man if i leave this bank and they don't follow me i i don't know what i'm going to do and it was completely opposite of that it was very much thank you i've been waiting so that that's something that i learned is when we decided to take that leap it wasn't as scary as i thought it was going to be and so that's one thing is if you have a, a gut feeling of anything it's probably right. Your intuition's probably correct, and you should just go for it. Now, moving forward from 2015 to now, we've changed broker-dealers. We've pretty much, like I said, moved all advisory. We've added three offices. We, it's There's been a lot of moving parts, but for the first year in 2021, we were able to 
just work, get clients, financial plan, allocate the money, talk to the beneficiaries. It's much more about enjoying the process of trying to help people figure out what exactly is they need. And if we are even that person to help them, and if not, send them somewhere. And that, like I said earlier, it just feeds on itself. If you, if in our world, at least my old world, we talked a lot about all the stuff that we could do to get people into our company or to use us as an advisor. We flipped the script three years ago. It's nope. let's just do a good job, review our client accounts, contact our clients, send birthday cards, have appreciation events, make sure the money's being managed. And they will then tell other people, you don't have to ask for the business. And so that has taken a couple of years to, to do that. But that's one thing I would also, something that I've learned that I would want to pass on is if you open a restaurant, don't tell everybody how wonderful it is. Just make the best shrimp po' boy in the city and people will show up to, to order that. And you treat your, your investment business or your pizza place or your shoe store the same way. Service them to the highest level and then that sells itself. You don't have to tell, you don't tell people you're smart. You just go in and, and do what you can and let others come to that conclusion. So uh, on, my, on, my, on my 40 under 40 and on my logo, my quote was watch the feet, not the lips. And that's a very short quote. And you probably read it and you don't even think about what it says, but that's simply just watch us, you know, watch people move. Don't necessarily watch, you know, what they're saying. Just watch them from afar. And that's what I've always tried to do is like if somebody's watching me right now, what do they think? And that's character is what that is. But that's the mindset that I try to live by is watch the feet, not the lips. I love that. And I love that. In y'all's transition, I think it's something so interesting, like succession planning. Gosh, we've been talking about succession planning in this industry for 20 years. Everybody's getting older, but uh, I just don't see that people are moving out. But y'all have actually successfully done a succession plan. And, and that challenge of having to change the mindset of the people and of the founder, that is a, a difficult thing to do because you don't want to rock the boat. If things are good, why rock yep. the boat? Why make a change? Yep. Walk me through how y'all were able to navigate that process of mainly for your people and your clients. Because the way that y'all view the business today, which I am all for and inspired by is different than I know how they were prior to y'all starting this. And that's a dra it's a drastic shift. So how did y'all navigate that conversation and that path? Yep. So it started whenever we, the, the RFG advisory is our RIA out of Birmingham, Alabama. It's about a $3 billion RIA, 77 advisors on the platform. We were one of the first people to join their platform and they were Bobby White's, the, the founder of that company, Shannon Spotswood's now the president, and then Rick Waddell's our chief investment officer. Great partnerships that we've had with them. But in 2015, six months after I joined, I joined this company. And then all of a sudden, now we've got more partners and we're going from this broker, LPL, to TD and Schwab and Fidelity. And I'm like, hold on, now I got all commission, A share, mutual funds to advisory. Like I've got my own clients. And then now we're going to try to take Tommy's call. Like it was just a, a lot of moving parts, but starting with RFG, finding people that could that we could delegate the task out that we did not know or that we weren't the most efficient at. So portfolio management, just getting even if we were using the iShare version of an investment and calling it an advisory account, we weren't actively managing that. I don't have time and I'm not I'm not a CFA, CFP like yourself, but I'm sure you don't even have time to sit around and just manage the, the portfolios. And I didn't want to do that. So the first thing was really taking a deep dive and getting the investment management part 
under control. And once we knew the clients, and that took two or three years, and you're talking, you've had clients that's had a new vein high yield bond fund for 10 years. And you're trying to tell them that you need to move it to advisory and we're going to have this advisory fee that's going to come out and change that whole business model. But the technology, the outsourcing of investment management, the outsourcing of HR, the compliance side, when we were able to just sit back and make sure that the money was in the best place and if it was not, have a great recommendation for it, that's where it started. And that's really what was the, the foundation of the business. Here's what we found. Our clients are always having triggering events. They're retiring, someone's passing away, they're getting a settlement, they're earning more income. And so there was always this new money. And what we found out is once we were 100% confident in what we were doing from the investment side, it's not about the investments, it's about the strategy and the rebalance and the tax loss harvesting and expense ratios and Vanguard's advisor all of the behavioral side of things. And Rick is our chief investment officer. It's his, that's his job to figure out the investment side. And when we took that hat off, it just made the conversation a whole lot easier. Like, here's what you need. Here's how we're going to get it. And that was a pretty easy conversation to have. But you had to build the trust first. It took a lot of effort from Tom to say, I know I've had you for 20 years, but the, you know this young gun still, he, he knows better than I do. And he had a really good part of stepping away and allowing us to view those investments with a an open lens, which is good for him because if the business is successful, then he continues to get his pay, right? Until the, the term of the, the buyout's over. So he's got every incentive to keep the clients happy, but he did it with the right frame of reference in mind. The idea of taking off the investment hat and putting it on the sideline. That's a hard thing for advisors to do because we say that's what we do. We're investment guys and gals. That's what we do. That's how we make our money. We charge AUM. We're investment people. But in reality, we're wealth coaches. We're life coaches. And investing is just a tool, but too often they don't take that hat off. And if they did, just like y'all, it opens up a world of opportunity that's so unique and just so different. And it changes the conversation from your clients calling you when the market goes down to your clients calling you when they have a life event that they want to talk through. And that's what we need to get to. How did y'all get through that and get that pride to the side? Because that's a tough thing. So my business partner is studying. He takes actually his CFA level three next on Tuesday. So a week from yesterday, he'll take it. But the last four years or three years of him going through that uh, curriculum, we knew that we weren't doing in-house all the things that we needed to do to maximize the returns for our clients. We thought we had the best expense ratios or maybe we tax loss harvested some of the clients, but we knew that there was no process in place to do exactly what the CFA and the Vanguard Advisor Alpha study says you need to do to get your clients a little excess return. And so we said, look, I don't know how to fix the internet when it's not working, I could probably figure it out. Just like I don't want to worry about what's happening with this small cap mutual fund manager that we're using and the Bloomberg analysis and the cross regression, like the market could be crashing right now. And we're in here doing this. Like I'm not even, I don't even know what's happening today. Right. And so it was a pretty easy thing when I decided for my own parents, my own money, that was the best route. Then why wouldn't it be the best route for everybody? 
And we also, we, we got 400 million under management. So we don't, not that we don't need new clients, but we don't need the big commission bait. Like our company is doing just fine as it is. And so we were in the position that we didn't have to sell anything. We just had to take care of what we had and make sure that it was being yeah. maximized. It's, it's I'm a extent. huge, I'm a huge fan of that because I, I think that we can do more for more people if we are focused on the person and the relationship itself, as opposed to the investment, right? We are limited to how much, to your point, right? We can maybe serve a hundred people and focus on the investments yeah. deeply and analyze them and know what's going on in small cap versus mid cap, international, emerging, develop, the bond market and everything. We could analyze all that. That'd be great. But our impact to people becomes capped. Whereas if you take that off, then you can go and build relationships with more people and outsource your investment management and probably do better and impact, have a greater impact on the individuals. And I just think that's a route that our industry, I think, is going with the planning mentality. But y'all were well ahead of the curve, which I just give so much credit to. Yeah, it's a hard thing. I tell, you know, I had a client in here earlier and I'm like talking about the the commission-based world. I'm like, Full transparency as an advisor, you can make five percent on a hundred grand on a mutual fund. You can get five grand in the bank, or we can make one percent over a year. That's eighty bucks a month. You choose eighty bucks a month over five grand. Like that's a hard decision to make as an advisor. And so I don't fault any of the advisors or any of the companies that choose to to do it that way. But I do believe that if there's some type of transactional based monetary commitment. Not that it's not in the best interest of the client, but I would, it, I just think that the, there's too much out there that can achieve what we're trying to achieve on a completely unbiased, non-commission-based world. I had zero advisory business when I joined here in January of 2015, and I just crossed in in our advisory personally. 102 million is what is actively being managed on an advisory role, and I had zero. I didn't. I'm like my clients are never going to pay a fee. And the next thing you know, they're like, well, I've been waiting for you to do something. But then every time we made a change, it was like there was more commission. Hold on. It was all in my head. It yeah. wasn't in their head. It was in my head. Once you get it, everything in life that you do, if you get the right mindset to to do it, most of the problems that we create for ourselves are in between our own ears. It's something that we've created, whether it's family or spouse or work or whatever it is. Most of the time, it's our issue, not someone else's. And if you feed on that and you don't recognize that, then you're going to continue to just do what you've always done. Because like you said earlier, as long as I just don't screw this up, I'll be just fine. And so you don't want to you don't want to mess with it. And that's just not how we that's just not how we operate. Yeah. Ryan Holiday in his Daily Stoics book, he talks about hope and fear being built on the same thing. It's your perception of the future. They're both the same. One's good and one's yeah. bad, but it's just about a perception of the future. And if you could just get away from trying to perceive the future and just be in the moment, then you're going to be a happier person and make better decisions. And that's the same thing that we are as advisors. I think that if you think about the pandemic, we all said that video conferencing wouldn't work. It's not a good relationship with our clients. And you know what happened? Our clients actually like it, but we had it in our head that it was bad for them, but we never asked them if they want to do it. We just said, we would never do that because that's not a personal relationship. And now you know what? 50% of our meetings are on on, on Zoom and our clients absolutely love it. And we have the, we've had the best year we've ever had in the history of our yep. business. Like that's incredible. Yep. I love 
your LinkedIn posts. You're very active on LinkedIn and social media. And there's one thing that stuck out that I want to know. I want to know the story behind it because I, y'all did a cool video on it recently, and it's the pink house. Okay. I want to hear the story behind the pink house, what it is, why y'all did it, and how it's working because I watched that video and I loved it. So my wife has a vegan restaurant in Shreveport, which is crazy in itself, right? I mean, we're in Louisiana, nobody eats healthy, right? We fry bottled water, but um, so she's had a vegan restaurant in, in our hometown since 2014. And in 2017, she moved to an area that was, you know, not good. Every house around it was abandoned. There were like one or two restaurants that were old staples of Shreveport. And so she moved her business into this old house, it's right next door to the pink house. It's called Well-Fed Louisiana. It's her restaurant and juice bar. And it was terrible, but she had a vision when she did a yoga training. She wanted a greenhouse. She wanted her mom to be the chef. She wanted it to be able to hire, you know, kids who were underserved or underprivileged. And she had all this stuff in her head. Somebody came in to her old business and said, hey, y'all should buy this house and redo it. And, and it was terrible, but she did it. And it's been successful. Well, her investor bought the blue house, which is well-fed, and the house next door really is crowd control. In that neighborhood, we wanted to make sure that her neighbors were up, like just nothing. We, we wanted to make sure that that block was safe, even though everything around it really wasn't. And so that house was bought in 2017. He since passed away, and the executor of the estate said, hey, I'm going to sell this house do y'all, would y'all, you have any reason to want it? And so that's when Chase and I were like, you know, most of our clients are in the real estate market. They have rental properties. Let's do, let's do this as our own investment. And so Chase and I created an LLC called Rhino Capital Management after the Rhino success book, Be a Rhino, Not a Cow, right? So it's a very short read. So we created this and we bought the house next door to Wellfed and it's a big pink house. And we sat on it for about a year well, the pandemic happened and you know everybody was sitting at home remodeling their own houses. The banks were looking to loan money. They weren't at, there was no business. And so Chase and I had the great idea, let's remodel it and let's rent it out to some tenants. Let's find some lawyers or a barbershop or something to go next door to Lindsay's restaurant. And so we personally, Chase and I, started to remodel the pink house. As that process started happening, we started to see it come together. People started going, what's going in there? What's happening in there? Who's doing that? What is that's a cool house? What are y'all going to do? And it just drew up a lot of excitement. And Chase had just started studying for the CFA and he has three baby girls at home. And so he couldn't get any privacy. So we found ourselves going to the pink house to get away from from Bellmead, which is we have our team member, our 10 team members are here and our admin and our conference rooms and all that stuff are in this big fancy office building. But Chase and I found ourselves, just me and him, by ourselves, with our Surface Pro and a notebook at the pink house working, calling clients during COVID, doing financial plant. There's no phones, there's none of that. We just had music playing, some candles. It was just a safe place for us to work. And that is now our WFA second office locations, the pink house. And it there's no team members. We've got it set up to where some of our clients can come in if they want to use an office. There's three offices kind of set up. They can do a Zoom. We've got kids from the, you know, the inner city. My brother's a, a college, you know, student at Centenary. They'll come over and do homework. We've just been able to utilize that space, A, 
as a place for us to go and work wearing sweatpants and a shirt and not market it to anyone for no other reason than to just work. And what it's turned into is everybody wants to be a part of that like mindset, like, what do y'all do? How did y'all do this? You know, dreaming and visioning and crazy ideas or, you know, how do I start a business? It's just become a safe place for us to just kind of give our life advice and rocking chairs on the front porch in a bad neighborhood, which is not bad anymore because we've recreated that whole area. But it's just a different feel than no offense to the majority of our clients the 65 year old, you know, lady who just inherited money or retired. Now we're getting 21 year old people who don't look like me or act like us that are interested in what we're doing. So it's become our way to sort of give back to the community, but to have a place that is just feels like home, you know what I mean? And so it's just turned into its own thing. Like it's the pink house. Everybody's like the pink house. Yeah. So it's, it's been fun. We're having our Christmas party there, December 10th. We've got vendors coming in to do like a little farmer's market. We're going to have tacos, a food truck. Santa Claus is going to be on the front porch taking pictures with the kids and grandkids. So like now it's a, it's where our holiday party is going to be. You know? and so it's been I love an it, incredible man. journey. Now everybody in RFG, all of our advisors, they all want a pink house. You know, we got Nashville wants to find a pink house. Birmingham, they're trying to find a pink house. I'm like, it's heck, kind of, you're it's, inspiring it's me. Pink. I want to go find a pink house. Yeah, you've been gracious with your time. I want to wrap up with two questions and get your answer and let you get back to, to serving your community and your clients and your team. In your mind, okay. what does wealth mean to you? I think it's being able to give back and to do things without having any incentive to do those things, whether it's your time. So like I know people that don't have a bunch of financial resources, but they do a lot with their time. I know a lot of people that don't have a bunch of time, but they give a lot of money. So I think if, if you've got, if you have your why and you know what you want to do really deep down, right? So I've got house habits that I keep right here pretty much with me all the time. And number eight, is we practiced honesty and the hardest you know what that's easy to say because when i say that you think i need to be honest i need to tell matt what i think about him and that's not what that means you have to be honest like gut level honest with yourself like what am i really doing what i think i should be doing or doing a good job like am i am i really the best person that i should be right so you have to be honest with yourself and as as clients or even me personally, to be wealthy means that when you leave this world, someone says they did a good job at this. Like they left the world a better place than when they when they got here. Mm-hmm. Whatever that means, time, money, your, the way you act, the what you do for your home, whatever that is. So I think that, in my opinion, is the definition of wealth would be leaving the world a better place than when you got here. Yeah. I love that. And that's going to lead into my final question here. And I always am just interested in this because I don't think we talk about it enough. When you hang it up for your career, what do you hope people say about Danny Martin? Yep. I wanted them to say that that I did what I said I would do and I did it when I said I would do it. Right. So I want to be accountable. I want to all the advisors and, and everyone said, but just to be an honest person, I don't want anyone to have any ill will to say that I did something for me instead of them, right? Whether it's clients, whether it's my family, my wife, my kids, the community, whatever it is, like he was all in. And the whole 
goal behind what was done was not for his own financial gain or self-satisfaction or any of that kind of stuff. So, you know, on my headstone, whatever that may look like, which I hopefully is me being sprinkled in the Amalfi Coast somewhere, um, <laughs> you know, I want I want them to be standing around going, you know, he he never did anything that I feel was just strictly for his own good. And so that's really the daily. That's why we took our five adopted kids in. That's why we've done all the stuff with the offices. That's why we've done the things we've done with the businesses. Everybody that we deal with on a day-to-day basis, I want to make sure that I I did what I said I was going to do, when I said I was going to do it, and that it was done in somebody else's best interest and not my own. Because if I do that, it'll take care of myself. You know, if you help enough people get what they want, you'll have everything you want. I mean, that's the truth. So that's the that's kind of the motto that we try to live by, my wife and I, for sure. Danny, you're an inspiration, my friend. And I know that people listening to this are going to want to follow you and stay in touch with you. What's the best way for people to follow you and continue to learn from you and maybe get in contact with you? Yeah, man. So LinkedIn is just Danny Martin Jr. Uh, our company is WFA Plan Invest Inspire. If you type in WFA Shreveport, Danny Martin Shreveport, I'm not on Twitter I do have a personal Instagram. We have a business Facebook, but mainly everything's just under WFA, Plan, Invest, and Inspire. And then a side note is about three weeks ago, I found out what TikTok was. And <laughs> I've got a seven-month-old granddaughter who we have gone viral on TikTok under Pop and K. So we, we're, we're, I guess I'm on TikTok as of about three weeks ago. So if you want to have some entertainment non-business, go check out Pop and K on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. Viral sensation. TikTok viral sensation, Danny Martin. Dude, I, I am I'm inspired by you. You're a good man and uh, you're doing good work and I thank you for that. And let's stay in touch. Let me know how I can help you. But thank you so much for spending time with us here on uh, Bridging the Gap. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 